My name's Jason. I'm so glad to be with you guys. Can we go ahead and put that uh, slide back up for just a second? We'll start with that since we were just talking about it. But it's an incredible honor to just partner together, um, not just here in Fort Bend County and in Richmond, but also around the world. And so the work in El Salvador is going strong. And one of the the beautiful thing, just I wanted to take a second and give you guys a little bit more on how we work together. And so the partnership between the Grove and, and Links is we are our hardest to connect people to confront poverty and create potential in the developing world. And so right now, that's already happening. This is uh, our country director, David, spending time with the Evans and getting to know each other and building relationships because relationships are the foundation for how the kingdom expands. And there's nothing more important than trustworthy relationships where you can work together um, for the, the kingdom cause and purpose. And so that's been happening. And and we work a lot through different projects that we facilitate. We facilitate um, community health care initiatives. We facilitate leadership development and training because every movement of God needs healthy leaders catalyzed and, and sent out. And we do one of the big things that we do is micro business training and business development because good news to the poor um, in the developing world is a job that uh, provides for their family. And so we work hard to mobilize workers in that regard. And then we uh, take trips and we invite people who want to go be a part of that. And so if you're not doing anything August like 4th through 9th, I've got a spot for you. Like we're going to go train leaders. And um, we were just on the phone on a conference call this week with a church leader who was telling us that um, the biggest challenge to spiritual vitality right now is the ability to go and catalyze business and, and have people encouraged and trained and equipped and how they can serve their communities by starting businesses and sustaining businesses and growing business. So if you have a heart for kingdom business and you speak Spanish especially, <laughs> it would be great to have you with us. But there'll be more and more opportunities for you to go with us to be a part of what God's doing in El Salvador. We are the link, so it's great to be in between what's happening there what's happening there and we're excited about how God is is working that all together for his purposes but it's so good to be back with you guys um, I drive by every Sunday morning on on my way to Renaissance where we serve and uh, every time I give you guys a, a honk down in the name of Jesus and say get them grove and and pray for you guys and uh, it's it's a truly unique thing that we're experiencing to be in a place in a town in a community where um, churches and pastors love each other and are pulling for each other and are are fighting for the good of each other, guys. That's the stuff that that major movements of God are built on. That's the stuff revival is built on, and that's a unique thing that we have here in Richmond, Texas. Uh, lead pastors fighting for each other, supporting each other, praying for each other, sharing resources, doing worship nights together, and just putting aside the the names of our our churches in order to lift up the name of Jesus. And so it's just such an honor to, to have a part in that. And I just kind of wanted to say how grateful I am to the leadership here at the Grove and the elders and Lance and, and our uh, leader, Chris, um, at Renaissance and or Baby Church. Like, we're just getting going. And it's just so great to have the camaraderie that exists here in the community. And so it's just, this is an overflow of that. So very cool. It's really good to be here. Feels like home. Always feels like home. So, um I don't know if that's good or bad, right? I should have a little more respect. Shouldn't put my feet on the coffee you know, table, but here we are. Here we go. Um, should probably say today it is, my wife Holly is here with me. It's our 23rd wedding anniversary. So you have no idea what she has endured for, you know, 23 years plus the couple years we were hanging out before that. But uh, 
you know, it's just, it seems appropriate actually to start our anniversary and an opportunity to preach the good news of Jesus together before we go celebrate later today. So, um, man, the passage, I thought maybe this was going to be like the shortest message I've ever preached because it's like I just got to talk about like four words and then we're going to get out of here. But as I, I dove into this, I was like, uh-oh, this is, um, man, this is getting, and so we're, it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. So I feel like the only appropriate thing for us to do is for me to preach really long and for us to all fast lunch together so that we really understand the power of hunger, right? And your kids are going to be screaming and they're going to be miserable and then we'll understand hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I mean, I probably won't do that, but you know, we'll see what happens. But um, man, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. So what I'm going to do is just kind of take a few words out of this and just make sure that we kind of understand all that's being said there and the simplicity of these words. And leadership gurus tell you to begin with the end in mind. So we're going to kind of flip the verse upside down and let's start with what it finishes with. And that's this idea of for they will be filled. And so we're going to talk about filled and satisfied first. Some translations say filled, others say satisfied. I think that all the translations pretty much say either one or the other, but I feel like when we're looking around culturally and, and in our world, like one thing that I don't see a lot of is satisfaction. It doesn't seem like anybody's just satisfied with where they are, how they are, where they live. It's like everybody thinks somebody should be doing something more than they're doing. And usually it's like you should think more like I think and be more about the things that I'm doing and thinking and they're not satisfied for that. Or if we're looking kind of internally, it's like I'm not satisfied with my life. I don't like where I'm going. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel, I don't know how you feel. It's kind of how my just like, you know, 20,000 foot view is when I look around, it's like, I don't feel like satisfaction is something is, that is oozing out of our present day culture. I feel like there's a discontent. I feel like there's an unsettled. I feel like there's an unrest. I feel like there's this like, things should be different. I don't like this. I don't like that. And good Lord knows that our whole world is known pretty much for what they don't like these days, rather than what they do like and what they are for. And so this is dissatisfaction seems to be an epidemic in the world in which we live in. And, and what that means is that nobody's feeling like they are full of anything that is satisfying. Nobody ever seems satisfied anymore. So I thought I would just give us a second before we dive in and just uh, let me ask us some questions this morning. The first question I want to ask us is how filled and satisfied are you? When's the last time you thought about, did a little audit, a little inventory in your own life, and am I talking about like your family or your job or your health or um, your devotion or, yes, I'm talking about any of those things, right? Because all of those things are contributors to our overall satisfaction. So just take a second in your own heart and, and just kind of go, I don't know what kind of person you are. I don't know how you like to, I don't know what your metric system is for your own life, but like one to 10, one to 100, like happy colors, sad colors, like an animal that you associate with. I don't know. But however you can measure satisfaction in your own life, what would you give yourself? One to ten. Are you more of like a two? Are you more like an eight? Or you're actually like, I've never thought about this before, but now that you're asking me, I'm kind of like, meh. You know, five-ish, coming out of the pandemic, things have been just weird, and so nothing feels normal and right because it 
isn't and it may never be again. What am I supposed to do with that? So it, it just helps us, guys. When we, when we come to the scriptures, let's not just think of it as this far off mystical teaching that we either believe or we don't. Let's help that intersect our opportunity, uh, our, our realities every day, right? So just what's your satisfaction level? Where would you put yourself? The next question I would like to ask you is, if you were truly satisfied, how would you know? How would you know if you were at 10? What are the markers that you could put? It's like, here's where I am. When I think about these things, that would make me know that I'm feeling full. Let's identify the gap that exists between our present state of satisfaction and our fullness and that which we could possibly attain. What does that look like for you? These questions and these introspections could be like 30 minutes or an hour of coaching at any given time, right? So maybe you just kind of take them and maybe this is good material for your uh, community groups or however you meet to process with other people about what God's doing. But what's your level of satisfaction? Um, How would you know if you were truly satisfied? I don't know. We have a, a tradition that I love. Um, my kids spoiled me for Father's Day. It was awesome. And my son, for the fourth year in a row now, as soon as he started working, he's like, Dad, I want to take you out. And um, one day for a father-son thing, I took him to Avenida, the Brazilian steakhouse, right? And so ever since that, ever since then, every Father's Day, he's taken me. And so we did that last Saturday before Father's Day. And it's like lobster bisque. I don't know how you feel about lobster bisque but it'll change your life at Avenida. And so I don't know if you guys have been to a Brazilian steakhouse, so it's just like meat upon meat upon meat. Like they try to distract you with this amazing salad bar and like soups and lobster bisque, which is worth having. And they try to fill you up because then for the rest of the time, they bring sticks of meat and they just walk by your table. Would you like this? Would you like this? And they give you like a little coaster. It's not a coaster. It's like a game. And it's so it's like your engagement in these hunger games. And it's like... There's a green side and there's a red side. And so when you are ready, you turn the green. Like when you're done with the salad, which don't waste your time with the salad. It's just a distraction. Like it's just to take your eye off the prize. So flip that thing over as soon as you get there. And it's like we had um, 12 different kinds of meat. It was amazing. And it's like they just keep coming. And they just keep coming. It's like, where does all this meat come from? And then there comes a point in a time, like there's no in-between, right? There's no like, oh, I think I'm getting full and I should slow down. It's just like, go, 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 go. Oh, no. Like, it's just like, there's this, something happens. And, And it's just like, and there comes a time where you just have to throw in the towel and you flip your card over to red. And it's so sad. You know why? Because they're continuing to bring all of the meats, and you want them, but there's just no way. It's like, there's a point where you just know that you're full. You know that you're satisfied. You know that you've had everything that you could possibly have, and it's a glorious thing, right? Okay, so I'll move on. Third question, on a daily basis, and if we're being truly honest, like none of this matters if we're not willing to be honest with ourselves, right? So if we're being truly honest, taking a look in, how would we measure our satisfaction Um, How would we know if we're full? Number three, where are we looking for, for satisfaction? What source are we considering for our satisfaction? And the reason I ask is because I think the biggest challenge to satisfaction starts with this idea of source, right? Like how can we have as much Christian activity and resource as we have and still feel unsatisfied? 
How can we have literally access to anything we could ever want and still feel somewhere less than a 10? And is it because we're actually looking to a different source for our satisfaction? The activity in and of itself doesn't satisfy. It just makes you crave more activity, just kind of like the meat that keeps walking by. It's like, no, 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 actually I was way back here and I think I want that, so I need to go chase that again, but I don't really need that. It's, it's confusing. Are the sources we are looking to actually just reinforcing a level of conviction that we already have? We have all of these things, but they're not making us feel more content or more satisfied. They're actually kind of creating more of a longing. I think we're not going to have time to talk about comparison, but I think we do a lot of looking left and right, and that adds to our dissatisfaction. But why? real question is, why are the things that we're looking to not bringing us the satisfaction that we are ultimately craving? And I'm just wondering if it's because the resources that we're reaching out to are really just things to make us feel better about what we already believe? Are we looking to things to actually challenge us and fill us and satisfy? Are we conveniently reading or listening to the things that we just already agree with and know? And then we wonder, like, well, I wonder why I'm not being satisfied. And I think it's possible to live with an incredibly high level of spiritual activity in our life, but that to still really be all about just our comfort and convenience instead of it being something that actually fills us. We were not created to live for comfort. This comfort really isn't satisfying. You cannot be the source of your own satisfaction. Sometimes I put just notes from my sermon on there, like quotes, so it looks more important, right? And it's just like, that's just, that's me. I said that. I'm saying it right now. So just seems more official, right? Like you're more likely to remember it now. So you cannot be the source of your own satisfaction. Jason Bollinger said that. This is just my experience. But the reality is, is that we're, when all the things that we're looking to to satisfy us, if we are secretly only the source of all of the things that we're doing to try and make ourselves feel better in the world, then we're just elevating ourselves to the middle of everything, and that's never satisfying. Because you can't be filled without being filled from outside of yourself. Satisfaction comes from a source outside of yourself. It's the only way we can get it. So this is a really big challenge for the world. Like we live in the, you know, you do you, boo. Just whatever works. You do you. You do you. It will never satisfy you. It's a slippery slope of self-indulgence and self-worship. Well, I get to be and identify with whatever I want. Yes, you do, and it will never satisfy you. It will just create a next level of the next thing that you need to attempt to find something that fills you and that satisfies you. True satisfaction and fullness comes, um, I think, from, from moving from one side of something to another. I don't know if you're into physical activity or you've ever like climbed a mountain or, or whenever you try something that you've never done and, and you accomplish it or you save for something for a, a really long time and you're finally able to pull the, the, the trigger and buy this thing that you've wanted. Like there's satisfaction on the other side of getting to something that you weren't on the other side of before. So when we find satisfaction, it's because we overcame something. It's because something challenged us 
and we walked from one side of that to the other, and we found that experience to be satisfying. That's why comfort doesn't satisfy. Status quo doesn't satisfy. Self-indulgence doesn't satisfy because it's not challenging us to the next level of something else. We need a source outside of us to fill us. And, and it, in our culture, it's like, well, you're not being tolerant or you're not being accepting. And it's like, I'm not trying to call us out for any of these self-centered things. I'm trying to call us up to something bigger, a greater source that exists outside of anything that we could provide for ourselves, and risk that there's satisfaction that's real and fulfilling satisfaction better than just like, oh, I like that. Oh, that made me feel good. Oh, you do you. Like, that's just weak. It's not lasting. It's a temporary taste of something that just leaves you longing for more. That's why the the markers of morality keep getting kicked further down the road, isn't it? It's like, oh, I pushed it all the way to here, but that wasn't satisfying. So now I have to push it a little bit further to get that little taste. And it's not satisfying. It just provokes a desire for more things. I believe that satisfaction is catalyzed by change and movement. Something changing and something moving to the next thing outside. I didn't know that existed. Now I'm going to go for that. And I experience it and we understand satisfaction on the other side. Satisfaction is catalyzed by change and movement. Change and movement is catalyzed by conviction. Right? And, and recently I've just become really worried about our world. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, where's all the conviction gone? Where is Conviction. Where is anybody saying, I was doing this, and then I learned this, so I stopped doing this to do something different that has a deeper satisfaction than I've ever longed for? I don't see that. I don't see it in church. I don't see people reading the Bible and going, oh, that says something that I'm not currently doing Let me stop what I'm doing and do what the Bible says. Instead, we flock through things that we already agree with that don't create challenge, that just support the beliefs that we already have, the comforts and the things that we're already doing. I'm a missions guy, right? So it's really easy for me to go to all the passages in the Scripture that talk about the missions because it validates what my daily existence is. If those are the only verses that I read, that's not the full counsel of Scripture. That's me being comfortable in what I already believe to be true. There was a time where I was convicted by those missions things, and I had to make an adjustment because I thought missions was for somebody else, and I didn't think that I could ever do that. And I had to look in the mirror and go, well, the Bible says this. I'm not doing this. I'm convicted by that. So let me move from here to here to do this new thing that God has showed me. That's satisfying. It's not convenience. It's not about everything that we can consume. And conviction, I think, is like this. It's responding to the discovery that there's a gap between God's expectation and my own current reality. Our source, whatever we're taking in, should be showing us the beauty and the perfection and the holiness of an incredible God that we've gathered here to worship this morning. And when we give our attention and our affection to him, we find in him where he's better than us. That's good. God is better than you. He's better than me. And then he gives us these instructions on how to live. And when we see those things, the appropriate response should be, okay, 
I could just be offended by that, or I could be convicted by that, and I could make a change and step into something that I wasn't currently obeying in order to obey something new to move from where I was to where I'm going. And I'm just so saddened because I just feel like in the kingdom of God, we just talk about conviction as like the first time it happened and we became a Christian. And it's like becoming a Christian is the start, but it's not the finish. Like it was the beginning of a lifetime journey of walking in obedience, of following Jesus, becoming more like him, and blessed to be a blessing to the world until we leave this world in whatever form we leave it. Paul said we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Like this should be a daily evaluating. Like our satisfaction scale is probably here. And if it's like one to five or two to three, it's probably because there's an obedience before us that we've been neglecting. That we're being challenged and invited to be convicted about to take another step into why God put us on the planet. And walking in the fulfillment of your destiny and purpose is satisfying. It takes challenge. It takes conviction. So conviction is identifying and confessing. It's like, it's not you do you and you're perfect. It's like, you're great. God loves you just the way you are. All that's true. And he's challenging you to go forward in why you were put on the planet in your growth and in your sanctification. And chasing that is satisfying. Making a one-time deal with God that gets you into eternity and waiting for like 50 years, not satisfying. It doesn't do it. It's pursuing after him. Conviction says that God's way is here. And if I'm being honest, my way is over here. Let me respond to that by moving over to where God is. I want to be with him. That's what conviction does. It's a normal part of following Jesus. It's what the Holy Spirit works in us to accomplish. And can I tell you something? There's nothing more satisfying in my life to realize that I was over here and didn't realize I was was over here. And God in his mercy showed me that I could be here. And I repented of being over here in my pride and stubbornness. And God over here, oh, it's so good to be over here. How satisfying that it wasn't up to me. How satisfying that my frustration was a blind spot. How frustrating that God loves me enough to invite me for here. So if you're feeling dissatisfied, what I think is that there's probably a move. There's probably a change. There's probably a catalytic thing that God's doing. And it's time to step from whatever your thing here is into this, his thing over here and find the satisfaction of being in sync with the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Colossians says this, He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come and have first place in everything. Such a cool phrase. For God was pleased um, to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this morning, if you're honest about that lack of feeling satisfied, I'd like to invite you to put your faith in Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never made that first step, today's a great day to do that. Are you willing to just take the risk and take the step? You've seen enough. You still have questions. You still have doubts. But you've seen enough to see that it's worth stepping in to believing in him. All that you've read, all that you've heard, all that you know to start believing that. Maybe for the first time or maybe today is the day you're like, you know, I did that a long time ago, but I've just kind of been hanging out. 
I am not putting the source Jesus before me every day and inviting the conviction of his Holy Spirit to come and continue to lead me into what he's calling me to do. I'd like to invite us to that and call us up to that. Jesus is the only source of our fullness and satisfaction. The Bible says in Colossians that God put all of his fullness in Jesus. So if you're feeling less than full, then you're looking for fullness somewhere other than Jesus. He's got it all and he's willing to share. So orienting our life around that brings satisfaction and fullness. Syncing up with him is our goal. All right, how we do so far? That's the first word. I mean, that's like a whole sermon already, right? Well, I got more. Um, that's the end. That's the goal. Let's feel satisfied in Jesus. These other two, or, or these other three ideas just kind of move a lot faster. Let's talk about some how we get, this is the how we get to that. Righteousness. This word righteousness is a judicial word. It just means what is approved in God's eyes or what is deemed right by the Lord. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, making the priority for the things that are approved in God's eyes and what is deemed right for the Lord. How does you do you fit into that? It does not. All that matters to God is what God says is right and good. If we are God's children, all that matters to us is what God says is right and good. And then we love people like crazy so that hopefully one day they experience the satisfaction of that same conviction. It's not licensed to judge those that aren't righteous. It's just a, a challenge for our own focus. It's a judicial word, and a judicial word carries a lot of weight and authority, and oftentimes the word righteousness is accompanied by justice. And what I love about that is that righteousness is this just reality, what's right and approved and, and deemed appropriate by God. Justice is like a word of action. So righteousness is a call to action to live in the counterculture of that which is unrighteous. So righteousness provokes action. It doesn't accept unrighteousness. When something isn't approved in God's eyes or deemed right, the people of God should be convicted and moved to action in the direction of that unrighteousness. And I think that that has implications both personally in our own lives while we're doing this audit, right? It's like, let's be on the hunt for unrighteousness in our own life. Let's call it what it is. Let's confess it. Let's repent it. And then let's move to action to a better reality than the unrighteousness that we know we're giving a seat at our table. Justice is addressing unrighteousness. It happens we need to be doing that personally and internally. We need to be doing it as a body. If there's unrighteousness in our church body, we have to be moved to justice and act on that unrighteousness because God doesn't bless unrighteousness. We need to look at it in our world and recognize that, that, issue, that issues of injustice and unrighteousness are all around us. Faith in Jesus was never supposed to be reduced down to statements of faith. I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. The church of Jesus was never supposed to be about pretty buildings or places to hide on a Sunday morning. Following Jesus was a call to action to bring the love of God and an awareness of his righteousness into an unbelieving world. That's why we're the church, guys. And people just don't get from out there to in here unless they were already looking. It takes a church committed to action, seeing the unrighteousness, convicted to movement, 
to engage it with the love that God has sent in his son. Righteousness is getting up and seeing the places in our heart that aren't approved by God and doing something about that, making a move. Righteousness is seeing things in the world where God's not honored, being convicted, moving to action, and doing something about those things. It's actually an incredibly exciting time in the church because the church is one of the most catalytic forces on the planet fighting sex trafficking. It was the church giving money to police departments saying, can we teach you about trafficking? Can we mobilize you towards this is a problem? You even know this is a problem? And now it's the priority of law enforcement. The church saw it, was responding to it, brought it to the attention globally. And there's organizations all over the world serving local legal systems to help fight trafficking. Where the church is on the forefront of loving and serving the homeless, confronting the orphan crisis, sending missionaries, bringing racial reconciliation. Our days in our office are filled with real people standing in these gaps every single day. People just like you who at some point, just like me, got convicted enough to move from over here to over here and said, I got to do something about that. It's not okay on my watch on this planet. I need to be moved to action about the lack of righteousness that exists there. I need to bring justice there, and I'm going to do that in the name of Jesus. When we become right with God, then we get to live for our world to become right with God as well. In Matthew chapter 6, just after the Beatitudes, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. One of the things he says is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's bring the righteousness of heaven to become a reality on our earth. Righteousness calls us to action in our lives and in our world. And without action, without action, we'll never be satisfied. If all we do is just believe a bunch of stuff, so what? Belief demands action, movement, catalyzes an engagement of unrighteousness in our lives and in our world. Right? Righteousness. That's our second word. How do we do? Good. A couple people said good. The rest of you are like, hate, hate it or won't say. It's fine. All right. I love you guys. Like, you don't have to drive with everything. Just find something that God might be saying that you can move to action. All right. Let's move to this next things. Hunger and thirst. <laughs> our poor kids, man. I don't know if we have any missionary kids in the house, but our poor kids like can't even go. Dad, I'm starving. And it's like starving is not eating for three days. I've seen those kids. You're hungry. And you're actually probably not hungry. You're just spoiled. Like you just want something to eat. You're bored and you want to eat. I'm hungry. So when we, when we look at like, so I, th- I thought about that when I'm looking at like hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's like it ain't, it ain't hungry like I'm hungry. It's like I'm starving like I'm starving, right? It's like I, I, we tell our kids, it's like, hey, starving is a reality for 15 million children in our world right now. 10 million children in the United States of America are food insecure. That's starving. But I want to challenge us when we think of hunger. It's not like, oh, I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry for more of you. Not like, hey, keep that buffet coming, right? It's not that. It's like, I am starving like a kid that hasn't eaten for three days for the righteousness of God in my life and in my world. We live in the restaurant capital of the world. When we're hungry, we go to Yelp and we're like, eh, I don't know. Four stars, looking for four and a half. 
that ain't hungry, that's spoiled. What do we do, like, with the Bible? Eh, I don't really want to be convicted. Let me just find, where's John 3? It's so good. Let me just start there. John 10, mm, I hate the devil, he's so bad. Jesus loves me. That ain't hunger. Hunger is, I'm going to die without the righteousness of God that cost Jesus his life. Am I appropriately longing for the things of righteousness? To be hungry, just like a, a very simple definition of hunger, means to be distressed about your food situation. Distressed. You're desperate. Guys, we fed children that haven't eaten in three days. And a kid that hadn't eaten in three days, when they come for that meal, they treat that differently than a kid who eats 12 times a day, who doesn't have an appreciation for that which they're feeding on. And the abundance of Bible resources, I'm just worried that's a little kind of like how we are when we say we're hungry for the things of God. It's like we need to just kind of be a little bit more in tune with what true hunger and thirst is. Early in our marriage, in honor of our 23rd anniversary, back early when we were church planting and we had a big weekend, and it's like we had our friends from England coming to lead a conference for the weekend. Our friends band had come. We had a cool venue on the square in San Marcos, so we were doing like a, a big concert, and it was just like we had this crazy weekend full of stuff that we've been planning for months, and Holly had gotten sick, and um, it was just, you know, super annoying that she was sick while we we're trying to do all this God stuff, right? Meanwhile, she's like getting really sick and I'm too busy to notice because um, I'm trying to make all these things happen. And then like the night before, like the Saturday, I, I think it was like it occurs to me and I have this really compassionate like, you know, aura to me that's like just feel better. Just <laughs> suck it up, right? Why don't you just man up and do what you need to do? It's like, that was great for a young marriage, guys. And, um, but then there was this kind of turning point where it's like, I'm in the middle of the night on the Friday night, like, I'm looking into her eyes and seeing agonizing pain. Like, desperation and words coming out of her mouth are like, listen to me, I feel like I'm going to die. And I went, Really? She's like, that's what I've been saying for like three days. So here we are three days later. So we go to the ER, and um, turns out she had like extreme dehydration. Her sickness over the course of the week had just completely depleted her. She wasn't eating. She wasn't drinking. I was too busy to notice. It was just a terrible chain of events. And she had just gotten beyond the point of there was, there was no amount of water at that point in time, that could satisfy the thirst that her body had developed. The doctor said she was on the verge of organ failure because the dehydration level was so intense. Guys, that's sick. But you guys, that's thirsty. And it's a level of thirst that no amount of water, it had to take an outside source. It had to take 12 hours of IVs for her to get any strength back into her body. So we're talking about hunger and thirsting for righteousness. It's not just like dabbling in the things of God that we already believe. God's righteous. Everything's righteous. It should be a distress. There should be a hunger should be a distress in us. Something crying out in us and the desperation to know the righteousness of God and for that to spill over into a world that needs it.
Got one more word. Blessed, all right? Starts with blessed. I know you guys, this is every Beatitudes had blessed, and I have no idea what anybody else has said about blessed. So hopefully, you know, I won't commit any heresy here or contradict the teaching of any other of the amazing people who have gone before me on this stage. And if I do, just don't tell me about it, all right? No, tell me that's unrighteousness. Engage it. Call me out. All right, so here we go. Blessed. We've completely sold out hashtag blessed to a culture that thinks it's about Bentleys. Hashtag blessed on my new contract. It's like, oh my gosh. The world has a better blessed story than the church. They stole it. Actually, we just relinquished it because we weren't using it. Blessed means this. There's, it's, a, it's a cool bookend, right? Because blessed means to be fully satisfied regardless of circumstances. So I think this is the only beatitude that kind of starts like that. So it starts with satisfied, ends with satisfied. The goal is satisfaction. The end is satisfaction. What's in the middle is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then that takes us to, to bless, to be fully satisfied regardless of circumstance. It also means to be envied. Isn't that something? So what does our world envy? Bentleys. Expensive things. New contracts. Fancy houses. Fancy whatever. Hashtag blessed. Has nothing to do with the things of God. We're not living a better story of blessed in our world to make anybody want it. It's been taken over by culture. The Greek word for blessed here is makarios, and the mock part of makarios means to become large. Isn't that cool? To be blessed is to become large. And what I think that means is that in modern history, I'm just not so sure how good of a job we've done at living so large and blessed in our world that people see our life and go, I want that blessed. We're not living a large enough view of God. We're not living a big enough blessed that's a better blessed than hashtag blessed on Twitter. We're not invited. It's not happening. People aren't flooding. The church numbers, like we're planning more churches and losing church attenders every single year. Losing more than we're gaining. That's not the case all over the world, but it is the case in the United States of America. And I wonder, it's like, are we not living a big enough view of God? Here's how our life can show a bigger, better story. Poor in spirit. People who mourn, people who are meek, people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, people who are merciful, people who are pure in heart, people who are peacemakers, people who are persecuted, people who are reviled and still maintain a satisfaction that everything is okay because we have a great big God. The practitioners of these things point to a big God of grace and a deeper satisfaction than anything else that the world offers. Let's take our hashtag back. A blessed life provokes questions from an unbelieving world and shows the reality of a big God of grace. You know what's satisfying? Seeing other people attracted to Jesus because of the righteousness in your own life. The risk that you took to go from here to here. And then when you share that, somebody goes, God, I needed that. 
And if you wouldn't have moved to here from here, you never would have been a, a part of that. You wouldn't have understood that, that satisfaction. And so a question that I have for us is just, are you living a big God of grace life? Are you showing people a better and bigger story? A couple pictures just to finish. Uh, in times of God speaking about the disobedience of his people, um, he would send a prophet with a word to engage the unrighteousness that they were they're seeing. And there was a very kind of strong, there's a, there's a couple of strong things that we're going to use today. Um, Amos chapter 5 says, But let justice flow like water and, like, and righteousness like an unfailing stream. You know what he said right before that? He said, Hey guys, put the guitars away, pack up the stage, just all of this isn't necessarily worship. You know what is worship? Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. And what, what the prophet is saying is if our worship isn't moving us to this, then it's not worship. It's just something we like to do together. Which, is there anything wrong with liking to do something together? No. You know what's better? Letting it challenge us and convict us and move us to action about the things in the world that need to be righteous. That's what it's about. That's the story from Amos. Last week, I had, um, it's, it's, it's scary to me to think that like any gathering, God can look at and go, you guys did that without me. You talked about me. But I wasn't the source of that. And I'm not saying it's everything. God doesn't rebuke every assembly of worshipers in the Bible. But there are times where he says, hey, check yourselves. Make sure that the motive for that is the thing that I've called you to do. Otherwise, just shut that thing down. Let it mobilize you to action. Last week, or two weeks ago, we got to go to Atlanta. I took my daughter with me, and we went to the Martin Luther King Jr. National Park um, in the heart of Atlanta. And in this first picture is a fountain, and it's the fountain where he and his wife are buried. And there's these amazing quotes in the history of the, the movement all over the place, and just looking at the streets where they marched and the church where he grew up and um, got to serve before he went to Alabama. And, but I just, you know, I knew I was going to preach this sermon here already, and I knew what my passage was, and I was just walking down the fountain from the top to the bottom and then turned and just kind of noticed that the heartbeat behind the movement that Martin Luther King was leading was this verse from Amos. It's in uh, made most famous in the I Have a Dream speech. And he just said, let justice, he says, we will not be satisfied, right, until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And I just kind of say, yes. And then I was really moved by that. And then when we walked a few blocks down to the house that he grew up in, up at, can't go into any of these places because Atlanta's still really shut down because of the pandemic. But we could walk around it. And I was just like, and it's, you know what? He doesn't have a terrible story. Didn't come from nothing. Didn't, this was a middle-class house in the day that he was raised in. It's a beautiful home. Um, his father was a pastor of a successful church. It's a great place. Just a solid middle-class home and I walked to the back of this thing and I just started like picturing little MLK like running around in the backyard and like kicking the ball over the fence annoying the neighbors 
get into mischief with the other kids, get in trouble for not being at home on time or, or whatever. And I just thought, you know what? People that knew him then had no idea what he would do. And it just made me think, like, just like every major movement, it has to start somewhere. Every major movement in you, it has to start somewhere. And I would just say, like, why not now? Why can't now be the time to make a move? Why can't now be the time to sync up with that next step, that next level, that next obedience, that next call, that next commitment to action to address righteousness? In Hosea 10, it says, your unplowed ground is something you haven't... Um, oh, let me read that. So righteousness... And Melissa already read it. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. Break up your unplowed ground. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. And I just think that unplowed ground, so important, right? If you're going to sow righteousness, it's going to have something to do with ground that hasn't been plowed yet. Nothing, it's going to have to do with something, with going into a space that hasn't been touched yet and allowing God to do something new and create something new and move us to action in something new. Righteousness comes from the being here, moving here, and going forward with God there to pursue righteousness and justice. That's the action step that we're looking for. Your, your unplowed ground is something you haven't done yet. There's something that God is doing, something he's calling to you. There's new areas of in your life. You don't have to be stuck. There's something new that can be experienced. So be encouraged and, and start looking for it and start asking God, if your satisfaction's way over here, maybe your satisfaction, if you guys are 100% satisfied, completely sorry for wasting your time this morning. If any of you are longing for a deeper level of satisfaction, maybe it's because there's unplowed ground that God is working. It has to start somewhere. Maybe it can start today. God, in all of his wisdom and grace, in my preparation for hunger and thirst today, um, gave me food poisoning on Monday. It was fantastic. It was 40 hours of losing everything inside of my body. Just leave it at that. And it just made me think about this, that the thing that I was looking to for satisfaction, something that I had consumed actually poisoned me. Something that I needed to survive, something that I thought that I was hungry for, actually poisoned me. And I had an experience, kind of like I talked about in Holly, like late Monday night, I was like, whatever, I would rather die than live another day like this. And... It's the beauty of biology, right? My body went on a search and rescue mission, found the thing that was killing me, and got it out. And then I had a different kind of hunger on the other side of that after nothing for the better part of two days, right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What if something that you've been consuming is actually hindering your satisfaction? What if you've been hungry with the right heart, but the wrong source? What if you've been using resources incorrectly? What if there's a move that needs to make to get you from where you are to where you need to be to go forward with God? Be desperate for righteousness. Be active Injustice, repent of acting like the source of your own fullness.
And I just kind of rearranged it, everything into this one statement, and then I'll pray for us. Fulfilled and to be envied are those living a big God story of grace and faith who deeply desire the conviction to live and give their lives with an urgency to see the kingdom realities of righteousness and justice become realities on earth. That's what's satisfying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, in our, in our hearts and in our lives and in our world, would you move us to action to engage unrighteousness in our families, in our church. May your righteousness be what we hunger and thirst for more than anything else. May we not stop pursuing your righteousness. May we not be satisfied with anything less. Would we find you as our only option for fulfilling our deepest longings? We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.